Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So coming up in a couple of minutes, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has said something about basketball in his conference. And this has actually been a big push for him. And it's one of the real success stories the SEC has. But there is a word in particular that Sankey used that I do think can also be a little bit of motivation for Georgia as well. And in a couple of minutes time, we're going to talk about that. But around here, no matter what's going on with the basketball program or anything else, it's our really our our promise to you that we'll start with football and give you what you want on the football side of things and with that in mind what better conversation to be having just a couple of days prior to the start of spring practice than to look into what's going on with the Georgia quarterbacks and in particular what a big media outlet like ESPN is saying about the Georgia quarterback situation right now I find this to be really interesting and I want to kind of lay all of this out and to me there's like one simple takeaway in all of this that maybe gives you some comfort as you go into this year's spring practice, but certainly as you go into future seasons at UGA, maybe just something to kind of keep in mind and remember. We'll talk about all of that here coming up. First of all, this is something that ESPN has done now for a couple of years, I guess, where they rank the quarterback situations in college football. Now, situation is different than quarterback. You know, if you read like the preseason magazines that come out in the summertime and things like that, you know, it's always very easy to find a list of who are the top quarterbacks in college football or the top guys at any position in college football. That's always a fairly easy thing to find. However, what ESPN does around this time of year is a little bit different than that. They rank quarterback situations. In other words, this isn't who is set up best at the quarterback spot for the 2022 season, but which program is so up over the course of the next few seasons with depth at the quarterback position. I think that's a very different thing. Now, with that in mind, Georgia in the latest ranking from ESPN comes in at number five, fifth best in the country when it comes to quarterback situations as you look towards the future. Let me just very quickly kind of highlight one of the things that ESPN says here. Uh, And Adam Rittenberg, the writer, very candid off the top, saying that Georgia's quarterback outlook is always fascinating, even after a national title with a return starter in Bennett coach Kirby Smart's program this is an interesting phrasing he says it's less quarterback reliant than other programs are but Bennett stepped up in the playoff and his team need him in the fourth quarter against Alabama Bennett should have a victory lap type season this fall he'll be working under coordinator Todd Munkin again and has the confidence and respect of the Georgia locker room so all of that's true about Bennett that hey maybe there were some pointed questions asked about him during the year but when Georgia really needed him to not just the national championship game against Alabama but clearly the uh, national semifinal game in the Orange Bowl against Michigan these were all just really big performances from Stetson Bennett where Bennett seemed to answer a lot of questions about himself based on the way that he performed during those games and that's all really well and good and obviously Bennett starts this upcoming spring as the Georgia starting quarterback we've said around here before that we think that Bennett ought to get the honor of having the first snaps as the number one quarterback to begin the process this spring and we are if we were you know placing bets or making assumptions we'd be left to assume that Bennett is also starting quarterback when Georgia begins the season against Oregon, the experience and the success that Bennett has had would lead you to believe that. At least we think so around here. And by we, I mean me on uh, the show. That's kind of what we think. However, beyond that, all bets are off. That that quarterback is one of those positions where the expectation in a situation like this should be for competition. And while Bennett will more than certainly get his chance and get a chance to pick up where he left off from the previous year, 
There is also the thought of, hey, you've got a guy like Carson Beck, and this is one of the things that Rittenberg also wrote about, and you can actually read more about this from Connor Riley at DogNation.com, but you've got a guy in Carson Beck who was a recruit of some renown when he came into the program, now going into his third year in Athens. It does seem like you know, aside from whatever Bennett provides you, it also seems like it is now truly appropriate to find out what do you have in Carson Beck? There have been some assumptions, and sometimes those assumptions have been maybe for the positive or maybe, you know, some of the things you saw this past year, maybe it left, left you ask, asking some questions. But one way or another, it's time to know what do you have in Carson Beck? And if that's true for him, all the more true for a guy like Brock Vandergriff, who was a more heralded recruit, we should point out, than Carson Beck was. And while a little younger, is one of those guys that are just I mean, there, there, there's a video that kind of came out the other day of, of Vandegrift. I guess he was working out at the uh, Rick's training facility there. And it's a big, tall guy, just, you know, flowing locks. I mean, just kind of looks like a uh, quarterback you'd be interested in seeing a little bit more of. And so one way or another, there's going to be some curiosity about about Brock Vandegrift. Like, what does he bring to the table? It seems like it's kind of time to know that now. So when Adam Rittenberg writes about the quarterback spot at Georgia and the quarterback situation, this is far more than about just what Stetson Bennett provides you in 2022 or even a guarantee that Bennett will be the guy that gets a chance to do that for the entirety of 2022. This is about Carson Beck. This is about Brock Vandegrift. While I don't expect much from him this upcoming season, it's also about a guy like Gunnar Stockton. And the other name that, ironically, Rittenberg also mentions is the possibility that Georgia is also a key factor in the recruitment of Arch Manning. Now, put a pin in the Manning name for a minute because I kind of want to come back to that here in a moment. Because I think the entirety of this conversation, I think you've got to keep one thing in mind about all this. There is just very little we can ever know for certain. And I don't think anything probably highlights that better than if you ask Georgia fans what happened this past season, it's hard to find unanimous agreement on what we all saw happen in the past. So if we can't agree on what happened in the past, then there's clearly going to be very little opportunity for agreement on what is going to happen in the future because as i say all the time our ability to predict the future just isn't very good like we just get it wrong all the time and i actually talked about that uh, a little earlier was it monday or one day wednesday one day this week we talked about the chances that stetson bennett could somehow emerge as a heisman candidate somehow some way and you know my point on that at the time was it seems unlikely but college football has a way of surprising you sometimes for the good or for the bad so there could still be plenty of surprises in store for the georgia quarterback situation some of those could be positive some of those could be negative in fact you don't have to look much further on this than the news that continues to unfold with jt daniels now think about this for a moment when daniels arrived at georgia you know, I think a lot of folks were kind of left to wonder, well, what does UJ really have here in that, you know, he'd been hurt and, you know, kind of an up and down freshman season there at USC. But but certainly, generally speaking, there was a lot of enthusiasm and excitement about the arrival of Daniels. And then when he got a chance to play at the end of the 2020 season, his performance seemed to kind of validate that enthusiasm even more. And so at the start of the year in 2021, you know, you've got a situation where Daniels was on the short list of guys that could potentially win the Heisman Trophy, then through injury and a combination, maybe some other things or who even really knows what. All of a sudden, the actual 2021 season for Daniels unfolded completely differently than anyone would have imagined. So much so now that we're hearing uh, news reports that, my gosh, go back 12 months ago. These news reports would have been unimaginable if you think about where we were this time a year ago and the things that Kirby Smart was saying about JT Daniels at the time. In fact, let me show you this from Pete Thamel now working for ESPN. According to a source that he has, Georgia quarterback uh, transfer quarterback JT Daniels is on a visit to Oregon State. 
What if I told you a year ago this was happening? I think a year ago you'd be assuming that JT Daniels was working out for the New York Jets or working out for the thousand other NFL teams that always seem to need a quarterback. You'd be assuming that's what Daniels was doing right now. But Thamel, no, in real time, in real life, in this current present tense, says that he's on a visit to Oregon State. He says he's still expected to decide his eventual destination after spring ball as he graduates from UGA later this spring. He's going to enroll after that. He says Missouri and West Virginia are also still expected to be in the mix. Now, I am curious to see how real this is with Missouri, given some of the things that Eli Drinkwood said a little earlier this week. But the point here is, is that the JT Daniels story of going from being the presumed starter at Georgia, the named starter in Georgia for all intents and purposes, to now being a guy on a visit to Oregon State, which is kind of a you know a friendly offense. And Jonathan Smith's head coach there, and they're kind of trying to you know dial it up a little bit offensively. But this is Corvallis, Oregon, a long way away from where we thought JT Daniels would be this time a year ago. That just kind of goes to show you the quarterback position can be filled with surprises. So let me kind of sum all this up this way. Here is the one thing that I do think I know about quarterback. Actually, let me say two things. Here are two things that I think I know about Georgia's quarterback situation, both 2022, 2023, 2024, and if you want to look way into the future, like say 2025. Here's the first thing. I think a lot of folks would look in on the Georgia quarterback spa and say, ooh, you know, this passing game is the one Achilles heel that Georgia seems to have. This program may be RBU. This program may play better defense than anybody does. But the quarterback situation, eh, I'm not quite so sure about that. Well, ESPN has it ranked fifth best in the country. So just just, you know, overarching point here. If Georgia's so-called weak link in the eyes of some, what was it that Adam Rittenberg said a moment ago, the uh, 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 unusual, whatever word he used to describe the quarterback situation at UGA, if the weak link for UGA is still fifth best in the country, then Georgia's program is still probably in pretty good shape. So simple point, we can kind of say that's true. But beyond that, there's this. Think about the guys that Georgia currently has, and I'll include Stetson in this. Stetson, Carson, Brock, Gunnar Stockton. Think about the guy that Georgia might get, Arch Manning. If you ask me, of that group, the collection of the four names or the promise of the fifth name that could eventually be here, which of those two groups is most likely to produce a great quarterback? Believe it or not, I'm actually going to put my faith in the four guys that are currently here. And the reason why is not because I'm down on Arch Manning. I have every reason to believe that Manning's probably a uh, pretty good quarterback prospect. But for me, the famous name, whether it be legacy last name and Manning or just in every particular year, there's a five-star quarterback who just becomes the famous name. I think the famous name can be a little bit of a false positive. Here is the one maxim I try to follow when it comes to recruiting. I believe that numbers are more important than names. In other words, you give me a number of quarterbacks, in this case four, Stetson right now, uh, Beck, Vandergrift maybe right now, Gunnar Stockton in the future. Between those four, finding a great quarterback or a truly great quarterbacking season I'll take my odds on that. I'll put my faith in those numbers. I'm never going to put my faith in any individual name because doing so with JT Daniels before the start of last season would have been a mistake. Now, I don't blame Daniels for that. He got hurt and everything else. A lot of this seems to be his, you know, not his doing. And frankly, Daniels is a pretty good soldier through all of this. So I don't have a bad word to say about JT, but I do think the JT story becomes a reminder that putting your faith in a name can be a mistake. Putting your faith in numbers is just a much safer bet. And ultimately, that's the takeaway from the ESPN story. 
Who knows who the name of the guy is who eventually becomes the truly great quarterback at Georgia, but the numbers would suggest that guy could be on the horizon. In fact, I think it's a pretty safe bet that it will be, that eventually Georgia will have a great quarterback or a great quarterback season. There are just too many folks in the room for one of those guys not to eventually pop. And the longer you wait and the more Georgia stays in the national landscape the way that it is right now, the more likely I believe that it is that eventually that's going to be true. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Kroger, and hello to you. Uh, thanks for being with us. 9.45 a.m., first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that on video, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Good morning to all the folks watching us live on video. I don't think I said good morning to you before the show began, so let me say good morning to all of you uh, right now. Of course, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including worldfamousdognation.com. We post a show each and every day. Also, Spotify and Apple and all the other podcast platforms. Just happy to have all of you with us in the program here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making it all possible. Kroger doing some great things uh, right now. And one of the great things that Kroger is offering for you is a brand new membership opportunity that really gives you some some just some great things to take advantage of. If you heard of Kroger Boost, I've told you about the Boost program before, the new level of membership. Well, there's a couple of great things about boost that you got to know about first of all the opportunity of free grocery delivery and that's always really convenient but how about the chance to also earn twice the fuel points listen i don't know if y'all have seen <laughs> i don't know if you read the news uh gas prices getting pretty expensive right now fuel prices getting pretty expensive here so anytime you have a chance to earn those fuel points at kroger that's a very important thing to be able to do and kroger's got that for you right now as a part of your kroger boost membership you can enroll for as little as 59 dollars a year just go to kroger.com boost for more on that kroger.com boost for more on that it is a Friday around here, and Friday always means a chance to talk some UJ recruiting with Jeff Sintel. We're going to do that here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, let's do a brief version of Around the Doghouse. And it did become official yesterday that Tom Crean is now out as Georgia basketball coach. This was certainly expected news. Georgia now begins in earnest the coaching search that probably in a kind of a off-the-record sense, kind of a you know de facto sense, was kind of all you know ongoing anyway. And it's hard not to notice the timeline and all this that georgia trying to enter the basketball conversation at a time in which really the sport around much of the rest of the sec is really thriving and if you want to go back a long time ago this just kind of wasn't the case at one point in time i mean what was it a few years ago the sec only had three teams in in the entire ncaa tournament and now for this upcoming year they're going to have three teams amongst like the top one and two seeds at least they have a really good chance of having that that's how deep the sec's become in college basketball and this was a push by greg sankey to improve the level of play in the uh in, in the sport of men's basketball and, and be more of a factor in march when it comes to the ncaa tournament and it's working out exactly that way and sankey in tampa which is still kind of a weird spot for the sec tournament but that's where it is right now Sankey in Tampa talking about how the SEC the the fates kind of rose up here he used an interesting word you know he's talking about you know how so-and-so's gotten better and -and so-and-so's gotten better and kind of the plan they put in place to just build more infrastructure around basketball and one of the things that that Sankey said was hey you know a lot of people think and I'm paraphrasing here but he says a lot of people think that we're a football league and obviously SEC football is you know clearly uh, a conversation driver but Sankey says we're not just a football league we're a quote everything league and 
look at baseball look at softball look at gymnastics look at you know a lot of the women's sports with the sec's also kind of dominated here the sec truly can certainly make a strong claim to being a quote everything league good at all the sports and the rise of men's basketball i think only makes that more true not just auburn but what you know arkansas is doing and obviously kentucky's never you know quite going away or anything like that there's just a uh, you know alabama you know good more often than not there's just a lot of pretty good basketball being played in the sec right now and greg sankey deservingly so is taking a victory lap on all of that which i think really is an invitation to uga because georgia you know at one point in time was kind of an everything athletic department they were good at a lot of sports and sometimes when they were good at a lot of sports they weren't always you know, that great at football now they're national champions in football but i think one of the things that the success around much of the rest of the sec kind of shows you is is that you don't have to take a step back in football to be good at the other sports too there's really no law here that you're robbing from peter to pay paul if you get better in the other sports it's possible like the sec as a league is showing you across the board it's possible to kind of be good at everything at the same time, men's basketball included here. And so as Georgia enters its basketball coaching search, that's just kind of a reminder on all of this. And I think what's interesting here is we have a little bit of a divide right now between a group of folks who really want someone in this coaching position who knows UGA, who knows the recruiting landscape of the state of Georgia, and that access to talent, that awareness of the of the unique culture at Georgia when it comes to a basketball standpoint, because the program just hasn't won very much. That somebody who understands the inner workings of all of this is just going to be more important than someone who's got the previous head coaching experience. Learning a lot about being a head coach at a place that's far different from Georgia in the eyes of some is is uh, less valuable than truly knowing what the scene is like on the ground in Athens. There are those on the other side of that who say, hey, George has been too bad for too long to roll the dice on somebody else, even if it's a guy like, say, Jonas Hayes, whose name comes up here a lot. George has been too bad for too long to put your faith and trust in to someone that you just can't say with much certainty if this is a good head coach or not georgia just needs much more of a sure thing well if you listen to some published reports on this uh uga athletic director josh brooks may be in the category of someone leaning the direction of experience at least based on what's being reported let me show you this matt nordlander who's covered college basketball for a long time says on twitter yesterday that one thing to watch with the georgia job per sources there are people connected to the school putting pressure on josh brooks to hire xavier assistant jonas hayes this has been uh, ongoing for a couple of months but nordlander says i've been told brooks much prefers to hire a sitting head coach basically as it was told to me by two sources brooks only has so much pull and influence with football in georgia the basketball hire is all his georgia bizarrely has been irrelevant in men's hoops most of its existence brooks wants someone with a proven record that's matt nordlander reporting that about uh josh brooks i have no idea if that's true or not but i have to tell you this i hope that it is true and listen i like jonas hayes a lot i certainly loved his time at georgia as a player and uh, if you've never seen the highlights of his brother Jarvis playing, you got to go check those out for sure because Jarvis was quite a you know, showstopper when he was playing here at Georgia, and Jonas wasn't a bad player in his own right either. The point is, I've been a fan of Jonas Hayes for a long, long time, but I don't want to trust the Georgia basketball situation right now to a guy that that has as little experience as Hayes has. Also, honesty compel, compels me to admit 
The things are not exactly going well for the Xavier program right now. Musketeers just lost in their conference tournament here this week. Seems like they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, and it seems like there's a chance that the entire coaching staff could be out at Xavier. And I don't blame Jonas Hayes for whatever's happening with the Xavier program right now. He's not the head coach, but it would be a little bit unusual for a guy that almost certainly will not be back in his or at least a strong possibility of not being back in his current role as a Xavier assistant to then graduate to become Georgia head coach. That just seems like a little much for me here right now. I'm not telling you I'm going to you know slam my fist on the table if he's hired, but I guess if I had Josh Brooks' ear, I would be one of those people encouraging him to hire more of a sitting head coach, someone with a little bit more experience. That would be my hope. Now, who are those guys and how realistic are the chances for success with any of those guys? We'll actually talk to Connor Riley about this before we're done on the show today because Connor's been covering this pretty closely for us here at idognation.com, including yesterday when the news broke. We'll do that coming up. For now, though, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger on a Friday, it's UG Recruiting Talk Time where we get a chance to find out what's happening with the football program. Uh, you're getting back in business here with uh, live recruiting in the month of March. Obviously, a bunch of former elite recruits have their chance to take a big step forward as spring practice gets ready to begin. So let's do all of that and more with Jeff Sintel here on a Friday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Always fun to have Jeff Sintel here on a Friday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. And, you know, Jeff, February, I think, was a much-needed downtime for coaches when it came to recruiting, but now we're several days in the month of March, and obviously you've got spring practice getting ready to get going for UGA. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But also, just the best that I can tell, ear to the ground here, watching some of the things that are happening on social media, offers going out, folks coming into town, that March is getting pretty busy again when it comes to uh, the world of recruiting. Can you give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch about kind of how how the month of March is starting for Georgia when it comes to recruiting and what's on the docket for Georgia here this month? Uh, yeah, Brandon. Uh, happy Friday. To you as well. Oh. Um, so, interesting, probably the biggest newsmaker for this week that happened earlier this week, the uh, five-star quarterback, Nico Amavino. Um, He's six foot six. Granted, some folks uh, in the evaluation is kind of like himself. Uh, they feel that his upside is even higher than college game. But arms they have, they have a little bit more RPMs. He's six feet, six inches tall. Uh, he just took a visit to Tennessee this weekend. And what was planned a couple of weeks ago was he was going to see Georgia, I believe, this weekend. And now that's off the table for this week. Uh, apparently that Tennessee visit went really well. And, and really, Brandon, there's not a lot of thought that Georgia was going to pull Nico. It was just Georgia was going to entertain and bring him in, especially with other luminaries in the 2023 class, like Arch Manning and Dylan Lonergan at the quarterback position. But And largely, this that recruiting story will become probably either a Dan Manning, Dan Manning minute in Oregon or a Josh Heifel minute in Tennessee. Uh, either way, one of those guys are getting him likely going to get a five-star quarterback for that gentleman from the West Coast. But this is an example here where Georgia's starting up spring practice on Tuesday. I think the media sessions on Tuesday, the actual drill starts later on this week. Uh, so you're going to have Georgia want to bring in prospects now where they can see them practice and where they can see a little bit more than the normal visit, take photos, hang out, that sort of thing. Uh, and really, Georgia is right now is basking in the glow of the championship culture, I think. Brennan, there has been no better recruiting for Georgia in the last six to eight months than what just happened on the, at the NFL Combine at Lucas Old Stadium. 
And I think the only way that that thing uh, elevates from that plateau right now is to see what Georgia does with a lot of damage in the NFL draft in April. I think those kind of can be some of the most sizable moments for Georgia in 2023 recruiting, especially with G-Day on April the 16th. But I want to zoom in on one thing very clearly, Brandon, and I, I said this this week on, the, on Before the Edges. Brandon, this time a year ago, Georgia was really kind of dialing in the recruitment of Jalen Walker and Malachi Starch, two anchor players uh, in the 2022 Boss Moves class. And I have every confidence that both of those guys will be team captains. They will be all SEC. They will be draft picks. They will be SEC media day type guys in Georgia. You don't really see that same sort of internal tinkering right now with some major, major pieces of the 2023 class like you saw with Georgia in 2022. And folks, that's nothing to get worried about. I think Georgia's going to recruit from a greater position of strength this year than they ever have before in any cycle under Kirby Smart. And that's going to be really fun to see. Uh, first of all, before we move on, kind of need to get your headphones on. Does, he, does Jeff sound okay? Oh, you think Jeff sounds okay here? Uh, I was getting a little bit of a mixed signal there on that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's all really interesting. And a couple of things that bring to mind for me about that is, like one of the things I think we've seen from Georgia is the ability as an elite recruiter to now be more selective about the kind of elite recruits they pursue. In other words, it's not just about talent anymore. It's about talented guys who want to do things the way that Georgia has proven to be a, a, a you know a successful recipe for for producing wins on the field. And that's that's one of the things about that uh, combine performance that I also think probably helps Georgia here a bit. Jeff is the idea that now Georgia has truly a well established proof of concept at a lot of different position groups of hey we're going to ask you to come here to work we're going to ask you to come here and grind but on the other side of that you have a chance to be pick whatever position you want you have a chance to be the next this guy there at uga and that's what a lot of this nfl draft is 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 to me here a replicable blueprint for how georgia can make you as rich as your wildest dreams could ever conjure i mean brandon i kind of wrote something about this a while back on dognation.com after this nfl draft is done really there's one position left maybe outside of kicker where Georgia can sit there, cannot sit there and go, hey, developed, proven, met the standard, elite, won the championship, got you into the league. I mean, when Georgia has probably going to be three defensive tackles, defensive linemen selected in the NFL draft in April, that would be the first first-round pick since 2003. Brandon, I know you know this name, but everybody that's wondering right now when I say that, that's Jonathan Sullivan with the New Orleans Saints. Yep. The stark reality of that point is, since 2003, Brandon, Georgia only had like four or five guys drafted, period, from the defensive line going forward from 2003 to 2021. That was a problem, Brandon, when uh, we've known the names that have, that, have, that have went through. Aubrey Solomon, Derek Brown, those are the players in state that Georgia couldn't get because they didn't have that history of championships. They didn't have that history of development. Where right now, if you sit there and you wanted to put together a listicle of the top defensive line coaches for developing, for identifying and evaluating talent in college football, Trey Scott's name, brother, better be on that list, point blank, period. Uh, and I, I just think Georgia, what they're trying to do now, you see it in a lot of positions. They can wait. They can take their time. They can see how guys develop. They can see how guys camp. I think it's going to be a lot different now. What's different about Georgia, even though they're recruiting – from a position of strength. I'm not going to say it's weaker or stronger. I'm going to say it's different. Uh, they're bringing in Fran Brown to largely coach cornerbacks. 
And Fran Brown's going to have a different idea of the guys he wants to come in and play corner. I'm, I'm sure, of course, we all know that Kirby Smart's going to have his oversight and stamp on everything, but Fran Brown is going to be looking and recruiting specific guys to fit what Kirby Smart wants in the Georgia system. Uh, and, and that's going to be different. Stacey Cyrils, that's going to be different. You keep looking at Chideria Uzo-Derive. Man, he has done a great job so far on the trail, really identifying with young men, being that that on-field guy. He played at Colorado. That's a big boy program as well. But you see all these new evaluators, Brandon, and I am saving the best for last. My perceived best for last, especially in 2023 hire, is going to be Brian McClendon. And Brian McClendon's board, I've already seen, it seems to me with attention giving the recruits and, you know, offers going out, going to be a little bit different than Cortez Hankins as well. And maybe Brian McClendon's board is going to be reaching a lot higher up the food chain in terms of those elite receivers as well with a lot of positions. And let's be frank, Brandon, if we're talking about Georgia in the 2023 recruiting class, everybody's going to be waiting and wondering that what's going to see there with Arch Manning. If Arch Manning chooses Georgia, I think it becomes ridiculously easy for Georgia to recruit on the offensive side of the ball. But if Arch Manning goes somewhere else, then it gives Georgia a clear progression with who they're looking for in 2023. I think Dylan Lonergan's a great example there. In-state, really incredible talent, also plays baseball. And the other thing there is you also – I know, I know Brandon, I think we've mentioned his name on, on your program before – but Dylan Rayola looms in 2024. And let me tell you, brother, there's a lot of folks, if you put those those tapes side by side and you don't have a last name attached to any of these guys, you have quarterback one and quarterback two, there's a lot of folks that might fancy uh, Dylan Rayola. The, his talent, his overall skill set, and his upside just as much as that Manning fella. Yeah, that's certainly very interesting. Turning our attention to spring practice here for a moment, we know the huge number of early enrollees that Georgia has, and they're going to get a chance to start next week making their uh, big impression. Let's do a thumbnail of this for a moment. Remind our audience who's busy and has a hard time keeping up with everything, just who those, you know, you have to go through the whole list, uh, obviously a long one, but some of those early enrollees that are on your mind that have a chance to maybe start, you know, getting some praise here in the in the early stages of spring practice. Who are some of those names that come to mind for you right now? Got to be Oscar Delft. We talked about this week on Before the Hedges how there were some uh, there were some young guys, some of those young bucks that were already impressing in off-season workouts. Uh, some of the information that came back to me is that Oscar Delft has looked very strong, looked very much, and I'm going to say it, Brandon, I'm hanging my hat on it. Oscar Delft is going to give folks some of those Brock Bowers vibes in 2022. That's my uh, honest-to-goodness feeling there. Those guys are similar athletes. They have explosion. I think Delft's maybe route tree is a little bit more advanced than Bowers was. I mean, and Delft's probably going to clock around a high 4.5 right now in the 40 as well. He is very fast. He is physical. He is an aggressive player that doesn't mind getting his hands dirty and engaging and driving a defender off the line. It's going to be kind of mismatched city if you have uh, Brock Bowers functioning and then Darnell Washington and Oscar Dell also functioning uh, in all these great packages with multiple double, triple tight ends for Georgia. Another name that came to, came to, came to me as a guy to really get excited about, no news, news flash or no news shock here, but it's Jalen Walker. That's a guy that looks like he's already a couple of years in the program, and that's to be expected from a hyper-athletic, uh, son of a college football head coach with impressive on the field and off the field traits. 
Another name that's come that's come, just came to me, Brandon, that I, I've been hearing a lot about for quite some time is Jared Wilson. Now I know he's not a he's not a true freshman; he's yeah. a redshirt freshman. But Brandon, he wasn't here in Athens a year ago. This is his first spring practice that he will get this time. And I think this these next two weeks of spring practice, sixteen days, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's going to be where I think Jared Wilson starts really making a, a hard charge up the depth chart for Georgia. I think he can play a lot for Georgia this fall, and I think when he gets the chance to, he's going to play very well for Georgia at what still feels like a loaded guard position in Athens, an extremely loaded guard position in Athens. Those are some of the names like you're expecting. You, we, we also talked a little bit about how Chandler Smith, C.J. Smith, put up one of those impressive 22.2 GPS numbers. He kind of led all the skill guys there. And Brandon, that's the guy that has 10-4 speed in the uh-huh. 40. He ran a 20.6 in the 200 meters. And you want to sit there and say, Brandon, sooner or later they're going to get that lightning in a bottle with that guy that's going to run the nine route, that's going to stay healthy, and it's going to keep, it's going to keep defenses on, honest for what Georgia does in the play-action game and what Georgia does in the run game. T.J. Smith is a young man that I think can fit that bill, much in the same vein that Arian Smith has kind of had some bad luck in his career at Georgia. It's kind of like what we always talk about, Brandon. You put together a bunch of 10-4 receivers in the room, and sooner or later one of those guys is going to be available and up for the balance of a season slate's worth of games. Yeah, it's like the one thing we haven't quite seen from Georgia yet. I mean, Georgia's had really amazing you know, athletes at the offensive spots, but not necessarily what you think of as kind of like the blazing speedster. And as you pointed out a moment ago, so if Chandler Smith were to be that guy, if Arian Smith, you know, healthy again, you'd, ask, you'd say the same thing potentially about him. But it benefits a lot more than just him. I mean, clearly you love to have the guy that can take the top off the defense, but there are a lot of other Georgia players that would also love to play with the guy that can take the top off the defense because the more a guy like Chandler Smith is doing that, Boy, that leaves a lot of room to work underneath, and there are a lot of Georgia guys who we know are good at doing that if they've got somebody to play off of. I mean, Brandon, it's simple. If you know scheme, you know what Todd Munkin likes to do. If you can get a guy approaching second-team all-SEC status in that nine-route deep ball type guy for Georgia, then it's going to make an All-American perhaps out of uh, another tight end besides Brock Bowers, or it might send Brock Bowers to, to New York City the other thing it's really going to do is it might make a guy like Kenny McIntosh a first or second round draft pick because you got to cover all that field. It's really kind of in a lot of spots. It puts, it puts the defensive coordinator in quite a conflict about which weapons of Georgia that they're going to try to handle one-on-one that can't really be handled one-on-one. And that's just going to make things a whole lot easier for the offense when you've got the protection, you've got the pieces around them, and then you've got the capable quarterback and the running backs in the stable as well. I mean, I really feel, Brandon, you know, you want thumbnails, you want snapshots of things. Georgia rebuilt the 2024 championship defense in the 2022 class. The 2023 cycle, it is a must-have priority for Georgia to now build an imposing championship-level offense to go with that 2022 group on defense. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I want to finish with this. You had a good story about this at dognation.com the other day. I'm not smart enough to be a historian, but I do enjoy history and Georgia football history in particular. And it is so cool right now to look in on what's happening with this 2023 class and see uh, so many famous last names, names that we would recognize as part of Georgia lore, who now have, you know, sons who are also on the doorstep of maybe playing for Georgia there as well. Obviously, a guy like Justice Haynes, a guy we've been, uh, you know, certainly thinking about and talking about for quite some time his father Veron Haynes 
of course, part of the uh, UGA football history. But Haynes is by far no where near the only one in a discussion like this. How interesting is that for you to see so many Georgia legacies now also so heavily involved with Georgia recruiting? But, you know, it was it was uncanny for me, and you know I've been doing this for about six seasons now, and whenever I can look around and say, "Well, I've never really seen this before. This is a a, a really a stinking anom- anomaly for Georgia football recruiting." That's saying something. And for me, I just started thinking. You know, I knew about you know I knew about Justin Benton and Philip Benton and Baron Haynes and Justice Haynes, and I knew about Lawson Lucky and, and his, his father Mike Lucky. But then you keep going with Bryce Thornton and Bruce Thornton, Grant Godfrey. And Randall Godfrey, you keep going down with David Witt, Weeks, and Witt Weeks. And Brandon, I eventually got to the point where there were seven guys that played, not just went to Georgia, not just played football at Georgia and on scholarship, but kind of made their mark a little bit on their individual seasons. And some of those guys went on to play in the NFL. And they, they have sons in the 2023 recruiting class that are actually power five, very good. Brandon, in fact, six of them already have offers from Georgia. Two of them are committed. I can't forget Marcus Washington and Marcus Washington Jr. as well. Georgia already has two legacies committed. I know folks out there would like to see at least two or three more committed in this legacy 2023 class. And Brennan, I think that is just simply astounding. There were two really good lines in reporting that story. One of them came secondhand from Veron Haynes, where he he said Kirby, you know, always wanted to get some zinging in or whatever among fellow peers and former players. Uh, he was like, you know what? You guys all got sons, and they're all pretty much better than all you guys were coming up in high school and college, too. <laughs> and, and, you know, you love it when, you know, that's just the back-and-forth banter you, you have with your boys. They bust their chops. And Kirby's telling Veron, he's like, yeah, man, I'm looking around, and all these guys are good, and they're even better than their dads were. And then Veron was like, well, man, they should be. Heck, yeah, we went through the road. We showed them the ropes, and we went through all this. We have all this stuff to share with them. They should be better. And, and you know, Veron even had one line where he goes, "Man, it must have been something where everybody had uh, everybody everybody had that on their honey do list that year." I mean, we were finding the honey and all the nectar that year. Where all of them ended up having sons that it turned out to be astounding, really, really good football players. And it seems like you know they they like to call it "Keep It G Twenty Three. That's the hashtag. But this, this class could have just as well been called Legacy 23 because there's so much potential for Georgia fathers to send their Georgia sons to the University of Georgia. And if you want to be frank, that's exactly what's happening in Georgia's coaching staff. So why shouldn't it happen more and more on the roster? Jeff, it's uh, very interesting stuff. Hope folks will read the story there at dognation.com. And I know, you've got a, I know you've got a lot of other great things coming up at the website there as well, which I also hope folks will uh, check out. And we will look forward to speaking to you again next Friday here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll look forward to talking to you then. Brandon, I got one thing for you. I got okay. a, I got a fill-in-the-blank question. I very rarely ever do this on your program, but I, I did some homework from last week where right. we started talking about Georgia basketball. Okay. And I was like, let me bring something this week, homework, to Brandon's show. Okay. And if you want to know a super reason why uh, Tom Crean is no longer uh, the head coach of the basketball program at the University of Georgia – had a conversation with another gentleman that follows basketball around the state pretty closely. And he asked me a question and he said, tell me this is Georgia tech. Excuse me. He said, is Georgia right now trying to recruit in basketball the same way it is for Georgia tech trying to recruit in football? Yeah. The point there is that you're in the state, you have access to all these players, but you don't have anything to show them track record, success, anything like that. 
I thought that was a very good question. So I kind of went to the mattresses, so to speak, to kind of look for some stone cold hard data. Okay, Brandon, 2020, 2021, and 2022 recruiting cycles. How many top 10 players in the Georgia signing classes did Tom Crean get? How many top 10 players from the state of Georgia did Tom Tom Crean get over the last three years? I'm assuming it's very little, if not zero. He has one. Okay. And that was in 2020, and that was the number 10 player in the state. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, Ole Miss, Indiana, Clemson, Auburn, yeah. uh, FSU, Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgetown, Dayton, North Carolina, Auburn, Mississippi State, South Florida, LSU, Ohio State, those are the programs that have been coming into the state of Georgia and getting players. And this is one that I left I left for kind of my final salient point about this subject. Xavier signed three of those players. And yeah. for Georgia to make a start anywhere in the state of Georgia or in basketball or reestablishing the brand and credibility, I think it's got to start with players first because at least you'll have the talent there and something to build from. We all know how important recruiting is in football. Uh, Xavier signed a top 10 player in Georgia in 2022 and 2021 and 2020 when Georgia and Tom Crean only signed one of those guys. And really, you want to know how Georgia basketball withered on the vine? There you have it. Interesting stuff, Jeff. Uh, Well stated. And we'll look forward to uh, chatting with you again very soon. Take it easy, buddy. Everybody have a great weekend. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. You know, kicking back and relaxing, talking some recruiting Jeff Centel on a Friday is always a really fun thing to do. And some of you are going to get a chance very soon to do this in person there as well. And you're going to get a chance to go on the high seas, on the way to the Bahamas, enjoying some sunshine and just some uh, really great times on board Independence of the Seas with our friends at Royal Caribbean, getting ready to cruise to Nassau on the Bahamas, perfect day, Coco Cay, with the folks from Dog Nation, myself included. And as I said, Jeff Sintel there too. Uh, Mike Griffith on hand for all of that. We're just going to have a great time. You may have seen me share this on Twitter yesterday. We talked more about this a little bit of time left for you to get on board and literally get on board and be a part of all the fun things that are going to be going on and you know this is not i mean first of all any cruise is great i just took a cruise on harmony of the seas and had a great time but uh this is also a chance to cruise with dog nation that means hanging out with jeff Sintel. and listen you get a couple of cocktails and jeff there's no telling what he'll say so you can experience that firsthand our buddy mike griffith of course there as well i'm just looking forward to it there too it's just fun to let our hair down so to speak and have a great time and go to visit some great spots and the cool thing is is you know i i've been on royal caribbean cruise ships i'm familiar with these ports especially perfect day coco k the private island so i'm gonna be doing my part to make sure everybody has a great time and i know that all of you are who are already coming are looking forward to it and i can't wait to welcome a few more of you on board with us so if you go to dognation.com there's a link right at the top of the page you can go to dognationcruise.com as a website and let that do the work for you our friends the cruise and vacation authority they're helping out help us out with this of course their website if you want to reach out to them directly tcava.com it's tcava.com or give them a call 770-952-8300 if we're booking a cruise like this we are using them to help us out with all that just really excited about the first ever cruise the dog nation coming up here before you know it from port canaveral on independence of the seas it's going to be a great time can't wait to see you for all of that uh we'll do more of the georgia basketball thing in a minute connor riley special friday appearance we'll kind of get into some of these non-jonas hayes candidates for this job we're gonna do this real long i know some of you don't want the basketball stuff i promise you we're gonna make this very quick but i at least want to get a couple of things out there on this before we wrap it up a friday we'll do that before that though it's cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and i guess a guy that could have been in the sec but i think some would say chose not to or ran 
from the opportunity, both because his old school was about to enter the league and the other school that came after him was already in the SEC. That's Lincoln Riley. He's out in L.A. and truly living, as the saying goes, the life of Riley. Let me show you this tweet here from Front Office Sports. The photo of Lincoln Riley's home there in L.A., 13,000 square feet, five-car garage uh, for a town with plenty of bad traffic. I'm not quite so sure how a five-car garage helps out there, but he's got an elevator, seven fireplaces, movie theater, tennis court, putting green, sauna steam room, 600-bottle wine room, guest house. Uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, listen, I, I love looking at, you know, good-looking real estate as much as anybody does, and this is a gorgeous house for a Lincoln Riley. It's still not the best celebrity house I've seen lately. Uh, Do y'all see the one from Tony Stewart, the NASCAR guy the other day, where it had like the waterfall on the inside of the house? That's probably a little bit more my uh, taste anyway. There's something wrong with this house. I will say this just real quickly. I thought it was very interesting how many times on Thursday I had this photo, this tweet, kind of retweeted into my like Twitter feed. I was following this on, on Twitter a little bit. A lot of snarky comments of, oh, you ain't gonna get that in Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I think that we have a little bit of a disconnect between the people who love college football and the people who serve those who love college football with college football news, where a lot of these reporters, I think, have a hard time imagining that anybody would willfully choose to live in Oklahoma as opposed to California. And that's a problem, I think, because there are plenty of people that would. Maybe you're not. And certainly maybe plenty of the people who, you know, kind of cover this sport for a living, kind of like living in California, some other big city. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with Lincoln Riley choosing la over norman that's certainly his choice and you know i guess to the extent that his uh uh, ambitions don't conflict with mine i hope he enjoys himself out there but this idea that only a rube would live in oklahoma when california is available as seems to be the suggestion from some i don't know it seems like we have a little bit of a disconnect in the college football world from time to time that's probably the kind of thing we might want to think about uh, rectifying. On a much more serious note for a minute, this is uh, really scary and really sad and kind of a follow-up to a name you may have heard us mention before, Harry Miller, former offensive lineman, five-star recruit from Buford High School, great program, signed with uh, Ohio State, been a backup for most of his career, and, and yesterday announced that he's medically retiring from the sport. Uh, he shared this on Twitter, a uh, very passionate message where he went into a lot of detail about his own story here basically admitting to the fact that he contemplated suicide and went to the Ohio State coaching staff about that. He credits the Ohio State staff with very quickly and immediately getting him in contact with some people who've helped him. And it sounds like he's feeling better about his own mental health, at least reading the the piece that, that, that Miller writes here. But it's scary. And it's not just scary from those of us who care about college football. I mean, a lot of the things that Miller says here, I think in some ways echo some of the things that I hear a lot as a parent, not about my own children, but from other parents who i mean it's just a very common maybe you're, you find yourself in a similar situation to me where it's just like a really common conversation right now in my life to hear from parents who are concerned about the emotional well-being being of their children sometimes older than harry sometimes you know close to his age it just seems like i don't know maybe we're just more aware of these kinds of stories now than we used to be but boy it just seems like this kind of thing is like really on the forefront right now and gosh my prayers go out to him and it sounds like he's getting some help and it sounds like he's feeling better i'm glad about this and you know listen i'm not smart enough to know what to do about any of this kind of stuff i don't know miller's situation specifically certainly wouldn't pretend to be able to fix whatever it was that he dealt with but i don't know man um i think the one thing that i think about is the mistake that sometimes i think we make is we have a tendency to view high school as the beginning of adulthood when what I really wish we would see it as is the end of childhood. And to me, that's a very, very big difference where 
we just seem to want to accelerate the growing up process for high school kids, kids who are younger and everything else. And I'm not quite so sure that isn't greatly increasing the anxiety, not speaking about Miller's situation, because I don't know his situation, but just generally speaking about the 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 non-specified anxiety that seems to exist a lot for adolescents. I don't know if the way in which we're accelerating the growing up process isn't contributing that a little bit. And you say, well, what does that mean specifically for college football? As I said before, I'm not smart enough to know. But here's one thing I would suggest. You know, if I was running one of these like big recruiting camps in the summertime, you have a lot of these kinds of things. And I think if I was in charge of one of these things, I might have fewer seminars on how you can cash in on your name, image, likeness value and more sanctioned water balloon fights. And I know that sounds like corny and makes me sound out of touch. And in this particular case, I'm sort of okay being out of touch with reality because look around at reality, judge for yourself. How well is reality working out for a lot of young people? When I look at that, I see some things I'd like change. So if being out of touch with the current reality, you know, puts me kind of running against the the current stream, I'm not quite so sure that's not such a bad thing that uh, I don't know. I, I this is one of those things probably worth us paying attention to, because whether you're an elite former recruit like Harry Miller or just a guy or a girl trying to make it your way through high school and adolescence, it, it seems like there are just a lot of challenges out there right now. So prayers to everybody, uh, including in this particular case, Harry Miller, who's obviously moving on from football and good enough to share some of the things that are going on in his personal life about that. Very awkward transition now to the topic at hand, which is the Georgia Bulldogs. As we said before, searching for new basketball coach and to those who are interested in this, seemingly two distinctively different camps forming. On the one hand, you've got those who like a guy like Jonas Hayes, not been a head coach, been an assistant, may actually lose his job as an assistant here this offseason. But a guy who's been at Georgia, played at Georgia, knows the recruiting landscape in the state of Georgia and the kind of guy who seemingly would be well received. On the other hand, though. There are thoughts that maybe someone with more head coaching experience, even if it's not connected to the Peach State here, that might be the better way to go. I want to bring in Connor Riley on this. It's a little bit rare for us to have him in the building on a Friday and a good time to do that, just given the fact that uh, Georgia's, you know, uh, uh, looking for this basketball coach right now. So, Connor, let's try to do this quick because not everybody wants a whole bunch of basketball talk. Which camp do you think that you think Georgia should be more in? The, hey, go with Jonas because he knows the state or go with somebody else because right now Jonas Hayes just does not have that head coaching experience. I would lean with Jonas Hayes because it sounds like the other big name that we're hearing right now, Dennis Gates, three years at Cleveland State isn't a big enough separator for me in terms of going out and finding a guy who I think can turn around this program. And, you know, I covered Jonas when he was here as an assistant coach at Georgia he obviously knows and understands this state. He played here. And I think more importantly, he understands some of the challenges that are going to exist with this job that maybe a name like a, a Dennis Wade or not a Dennis Gates, excuse me, Matt McCann at Murray State, Todd Golden at San Francisco, outsiders to this program don't necessarily totally understand what they would be stepping into. It's totally unfair. And <laughs> you don't have to tell me it's unfair because I already know it's unfair, but I want you to respond to this anyway. A lot of what you're saying about Hayes in this particular case 
could have also been said about Patrick Ewing going back to be Georgetown head coach, and that's not working out at all right now. And I'm not certainly saying that Ewing not working out at Georgetown is proof that Jonas Hayes wouldn't work out coming back to Georgia, but it is a reminder that there is more to succeeding, especially for a guy that doesn't have just mounds and mounds of head coaching experience. There is more to succeeding than just being familiar with the area that's and familiar with the job, familiar with the landscape. There is more to it than that. The Ewing era at Georgetown, which is a very big job in the world of college basketball, seems to be an indication of that for me. I would push back on that. Patrick Ewing had never coached at a collegiate level before, and I do think there are some differences that he sees coming from the NBA lifestyle to working in the college environment. I do understand the trepidation with that, but I think you can look at some recent hires made around the sport of college basketball and see hiring. You know, look at Arizona this year. Arizona is probably going to win the Pac-12 and be the number one, a number one seed out west. Tommy Lloyd had no head coaching experience, what to speak of. And granted, he was coming from a very successful Gonzaga program, but he turned that job around immediately there. And I do think that, you know, and, you know, obviously it's a different sport football, but I think we've seen hiring assistants, you know, as opposed to going after a guy with sitting head coach experience is starting to work out a little bit more and, and, you know, hiring the same types of guys all the time doesn't always necessarily lead to success. And so I, I embrace creativity, I think, in terms of trying to go out there and find a unique approach to a problem that has existed for far too long when it comes to Georgia. And if Jonas Hayes is that guy, I think there's a chance for success there. Some rapid fire stuff. Um, I agree with what you said about Gates from Cleveland State. Like, it's just, like, there's just not enough of a resume there to make him all that different than Jonas Hayes. It sounds like you think that's true. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the nine years that he had at Florida State as an assistant there are probably to me a bigger selling point than necessarily his time as a sitting head coach at Cleveland state right now, working with Leonard Hamilton, recruiting the state of Georgia. He has recruited players from Georgia to go to Cleveland state. So he still obviously has ties here, but you're picking Dennis Gates over Jonas Hayes, I guess, because of three years of head coaching experience at Cleveland state. To me, that's not enough of a differentiator between the two. Gorillas gorillas, not making the state of the NCAA tournament this year. Anyway, I don't think right. Correct. Correct. Uh, Cleveland State did not win the Horizon League. Martin come up. A coach like that, whether it be Martin or just an archetype like this, on the heels of so many players transferring out of the program, kind of a tough, very coach-centric type guy like Martin, that doesn't feel like a good fit for me on this right now. Martin's been to a Final Four at a place that's, that's pretty unusual. I don't think that's a personality fit for Georgia right now. Do you agree with that? No, I think it's too close to sort of the Tom Crean archetype. I will note, however, you know, we've seen in other sports, uh, Josh Brooks swing big in terms of who they go out and try and hire. And I could certainly see that being the case again there. But I don't think Frank Martin is that guy. I think Georgia would try and aim higher and see if you can find a disgruntled coach who maybe isn't getting paid enough at their current school and try and convince him to come here. But, uh, you know, Georgia, I think – for the first, and we've talked about this before, for the first time, and it seems like in a while, and maybe social media amplifies some of this, there's a desire for Georgia basketball to be good in basketball. And I don't think that's always necessarily been the case. And so, you know, if you were going out and making that hire, you need to get somebody who you think can get you into the NCAA tournament on a regular basis. Games at UAB, I think he'd be very good in press conference situations because he's done some TV work before too. But he didn't win very many games at Ole Miss. I'm not quite so sure. That's an obvious coaching upgrade over Tom Crean. Do you agree with that? Yeah, Andy Kennedy, an SEC retread uh, that just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, and it seems like somebody, you know, like a sort of Mark Foxy and higher as in a, a guy who can get you back to respectable. 
but not where I think Georgia basketball ultimately wants to be. I think with this hire, yes, whoever takes over is going to have a lot of hard work to do early on. But what we've seen at other programs, you can have quick basketball turnarounds. And the transfer portal, you know, even under Tom Green, it seemed like a one-way thing. You're allowed to bring in good players from the transfer portal. And so whoever Georgia ends up hiring, and I do think this hire is going to happen relatively quickly, I think whoever that is has a chance to really turn things around quickly and not be a laughing stock of the league like they were at the end of the Tom Crean era. Yeah. So all this is leading to this. Andy Enfield was my guy from USC, and he's going to stay with the Trojans. I have now completely 100% talked myself into Matt McMahon from Murray State. First of all, Murray State's a better program than Georgia is. <laughs> it's just like Georgia beat him in the tournament, what, back 2002, but since then, Murray State's been in the tournament seemingly every year, and Georgia uh, obviously the exact opposite. I couldn't pick him out of the lineup. I have no idea. I don't know anything about him, have no idea what he looks like, nothing whatsoever. That's the guy I've talked myself into. And also, Connor, my assumption is one of these, unfortunately, more high-profile jobs like a Maryland or a, a Louisville, if one of those programs wanted him, my assumption is they would get him before Georgia probably could. What do you think about, A, my sudden love affair with McMahon, and B, the idea that a better job might swoop in and get him? Yeah, McMahon is a guy who obviously has become very popular. You look at the record, you look at, oh, he's the guy that recruited and developed John Moran. John Moran's one of the better NBA players this year, a, a true superstar. You think, okay, and he's built successfully at Murray State over time there and really kept things going 30-2 and two this season, a top 25 program. But to your point, I think a name to really watch there is Louisville. And if Louisville ends up you know, missing on some of their higher-profile guys, that's a job McMahon is going to jump for. And so you're playing second fiddle there and McMahon might be deciding to wait for an offer that may or may not never come. And George is going to want to move quickly on this hire and go out and bring in somebody. You know, we, there've been reports that Jonas Hayes has already interviewed. Dennis Gates does not have the NCAA tournament to worry about this year. I, I think there's going to be a willingness to move quickly and move on from the end of the Tom Crean era and get, a, you know, this new era of Georgia basketball, whoever is leading it, has to really energize this fan base because I think there's a lot of passion out there right now. But as we saw at the end of the Tom Crean era, that that passion was not always placed in the best places. And I played the audio yesterday of Bruce Weber ending his career there at Kansas State, growing out his hair as a protest against the corruption in college basketball. It feels like we can't have a conversation about rebooting a basketball program without talking at least a little bit about what college basketball is right now. And I'm not really sure what I expect you to say about this, but I mean, is it possible to be a winner in college basketball right now without doing what Will Wade seemingly is on tape, you know, doing what Sean Miller was accused of doing in Arizona, who's, I guess, also a name that kind of floats around from time to time, too. Like, can you do this in a way that does not get your phone tapped by the FBI? You know, there are, there are plenty of examples of that. I, I mentioned Tommy Lloyd earlier. He, he found a lot of success there at Arizona after inheriting, I think, a really bad situation. Um, but, you know, again, college basketball is so tricky right now. You've seen programs like Villanova, programs like Baylor build up over the course of years. Virginia, I would include them those there as well, though they're having a bit of a down year. So I do think this can be done, but at that high level, at that high major program where you're going to have a lot of attention, like the S, like in an SEC program where if you go from being historically irrelevant, which Georgia basketball has been, to being a winner overnight, you're going to draw a lot of eyebrows. That's what happened to Bruce Pearl. That's what happened to Will Wade. Both those guys, not unsurprisingly, were mentioned in that FBI. Both have had NCAA penalties, or at least LSU is waiting on NCAA penalties to come in from their recent notice of allegations there. So I, 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 
You know, go back to the Herrick era. That's what happened to them. They just got after the Ron yeah. Jersey dip. Uh, they just got too good, too fast. Got too much attention for what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to. You don't want to be Icarus and fly too close to the sun. So I, I do think that Georgia has to, in a way, be careful. But like at the end of the day, Bruce Pearl's still at Auburn after all of that, and he's going to lead them. To, you know, probably do an SEC championship and maybe another Final Four this year. Will Wade is still somehow at, at, at LSU. Uh, Bill Self has a lifetime contract at Kansas, even though he was very prominently linked in that. So, I, you know, I, I get the whole hemming and hawing. Mike Griffith does this a lot of, oh, well, if you want to win in college basketball, you have to cheat. At the end of the day, I think people want Georgia want a winner, and who cares? Like, are, are we really going to hem and haw about this? As long as you're not going full who freeze and challenging the establishment when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like, I, I don't want to say you, you, you want to cheat, and I know Josh Brooks isn't going to – have a cheating program, but are we really still scandalized in this era of players getting paid of, of NIL and all this that is going on and being thrown around? I, I find it, you know, pearl clutching, arguing against a straw man, whatever you want to call it, you know, college basketball sort of is what college basketball is at this standpoint. The story by Schleybaugh the other day, Mark Schleybaugh, ESPN.com, by gosh, I don't know why Georgia's not more of a factor than some of these AAU kids. I just think this entire topic is is conspicuously absent from a discussion like that i don't think it can be and i'm not i'm not blaming any i'm certainly not accusing anybody of doing anything because i don't have any evidence to accuse anybody of something but it just seems like it's hard to have a conversation about basketball recruiting without this at least being a part of the discussion based on what people who know a lot more about college basketball than i do are saying right there's always sort of been this shadow shadow market when it comes to recruiting you know for so long it was shoe companies directing guys where to go now agencies and agents are getting involved even more and pushing guys to certain schools but i I will say you know and and this is a much larger you know youth basketball pre-mba discussion i actually maybe think with you know the uprising of of the g league of overtime elite of some of these other leagues you know if you want to go and make money and do that kind of way and get yourself prepared professionally that way you can and if you want to go to college basketball and enjoy all that college basketball is, the pageantry, the passion, the the, the fan support, I do think that's going to be an avenue there. And, and I'll say this, you know, we obviously overtime elite G League have taken more and more guys in recent years. I found this college basketball season to be really enjoyable. I think there's a good crop of talent. You know, there are uh, across the sport a little bit less of those one and done type guys. And you look at programs like, say, in Auburn, who built in a different way. You know, obviously Jabari Smith is going to be a top five, maybe top one pick. But Walker Kessler transferring in, Katie Johnson transferring in. It's a little bit of a different, but I do think it's an older product. And I've always believed when you have more veterans in college basketball, it just sort of tends to be a better product than being sort of run by one and dones. You're right about that. Connor, good stuff. You've had some great stuff on the site, dognation.com. I know you'll have more to come as this search continues and more names pop in and pop out of our of our you know field of vision here. So we'll look forward to seeing that from you then. And uh, thanks for being here on the program today. Yep, as always, was pleasure. Wrap up. Let me also remind you about my friends at the Finish Long Drink too, because you head towards the weekend. Boy, the Finish Long Drink, a great accompaniment for you, whatever you have going on. Being cold inside, sitting by the fire. How about a ready to drink cocktail right out of the can? It looks like a beer, but it's not a beer. It's a ready to drink cocktail. Pop a top, pour it in a glass, or just drink it straight out of the can and enjoy it. Four different varieties. The traditional comes in a blue can. Got the gin kick with the grapefruit flavor. Got the long drink cranberry. Long drink strong, eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long drink zero no carbs no sugar 
That's all good times. Uh, so check it out. It's from Finland. Came from Helsinki in 1950s, back when the summer games were there. It's been in America for a couple of years, and now it's in Georgia and pretty much wherever you are. So put in your address. They're not your address. Don't give your whole address. They're not coming to your house. Just put in your zip code. Just you put in your zip code there at thelongdrink.com, and you can find out where you can pick some up today, whether it be beverage store or bar or you know sometimes golf courses, things like that. You can check all of that out online at thelongdrink.com. All right, a couple of golden shoes to say goodbye to all of you here on a Friday and get you ready for a weekend. Thanks to everyone for submitting here this week. Let's show you our first winner for today. Give a shout out to our buddy Matt Rukavina. For those of you who hear me mention Matt's name on our Facebook comment section, this is Matt right here saying, when you attend an all-you-can-eat crawfish boil, or as we would say, crawfish bowl, and uh, an LSU fan buys you a pitcher of beer for the dogs winning it all and beating Alabama. Look at all those crawfish and look at uh, Matt with his championship shirt on. Nice uh, pitcher of beer there. Good to see Matt living the good life. And nice to know an LSU guy is buying a little beer for a UGA fan. Obviously, LSU folks like seeing Bama go down. I'm sure that's got something to do with that. So glad to see Matt having himself a good time. By the way, speaking of beer, also the subject of our buddy Harvey Dog, who checks in to say I live in Knoxville. I've heard BA talk about Classic City Lager for too long not to try it. My job took me through Georgia. I was finally able to secure some. That koozie makes it perfect. Best lager I've had. Thanks, B.A. Go Dogs. Harvey, thank you to you as well, my friend RG on Twitter. We'll make you a Golden Shoe winner and certainly appreciate your support of our program. How about the lousy, stinking Gators? Gator hater updater, 4,800 days since Florida's won a national championship and taking another loss to Georgia. Coming up 232 days from right now, that is our Gator hater countdown. We will see you Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Talk to you then, everybody. And on the podcast, normally we do the podcast to cool down. I'm going to have to beg your pardon on that today. I had a little bit of a family thing I had to take care of. Had to uh, leave the studio before we could finish the uh, podcast to cool down. But we'll be back doing that again on Monday. Make sure you check out RS Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. And hope you all have a great weekend. See you back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. And we'll look forward to speaking to you then.